0: I know that people find it fascinating that somebody yeah who comes from Syria and who does uh, some kind of art that is Western in its nature like classical music but uh, I don't want this fact to be attached to to the ident- identity of my work yes I know that I am who I am I came from that place but because, you know, most of the time media is just programming this shit together just to. And I don't want to be looked at with pity, you know, because they, uh, because they are attached together. The people say that. No, no, of course not. But you can see it in their eyes. Like, yeah, I say I'm from Syria and they say, oh, and you see this, all, I mean, it says a lot.
1: Well, personally, like this interview is about happiness and I'm happy for you because you've managed to come from Syria, which cannot be easy. Then you're able to do your music, which is like, it sounds to me like the best thing for you. Yeah,
0: actually, it's the other way around. Music brought me here more than I came here for music. So because all the steps that I took in my life regarding travel, they were because of music. So first I got a scholarship to Hungary so I went there because because of music and music was giving me money to live and then I came here because of music I'm a student and I'm at the tree house because of music and I'm talking to you because of music so yeah my my life revolves around this and I choose to to follow it
1: music yeah and presumably that makes you happy
0: yeah definitely i mean why else
1: so could you start at the beginning please i mean you said you have a, ang- a bit of anxiety talking but if you forget no, about not, the recording not talking,
0: yeah but this is the fact of, uh, of having the recorders especially you know, that it's very close to my face like so. so yeah i'm aware of it it doesn't make me as fluent
1: Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn up the gain. I'm gonna lower it down. Okay, I'm gonna. It makes it much more sensitive, but it should pick up. Let me see. Sorry to the listener because it's going to be a bit noisy. But I'll turn down the recording level. And then to 110. Okay. So, Sam, would you mind? What What is Sam short for? Or is uh, What is your name? Yeah.
0: People don't usually call me Sam, Um, my name is Samr. So, it's a bit difficult to pronounce for Western tongues, apparently. But, yeah, my name is Samr.
1: And could you tell me about living in Syria and where you came from there and what it's been like? Has it been hard, like they say on the media?
0: So, I grew up happily, you know. But then the years of of war, those are the years that that were difficult. Because I was 18 and that's when the war broke out. So I I had just started uh, school, uh, college. And so all my hopes towards building a future and yeah, this is, I'm starting. I just went away from my family then it started getting into challenges but it got harder a little by little so it was like a training at the end I recognized that you know but sometimes it sucked but uh, as long as you have friends you you can overcome anything because people my friends reflected my experience and this made it much more easier
1: So can I ask what your parents were doing as jobs in Syria and and were you, how badly affected were you by the war? So I come
0: from southern Syria, from a city called Sueda. Uh, For the first five or six years of war Sueda wasn't really affected, but I lived in Damascus anyway, but my parents lived in... Or my mother and sister lived in Sweden. Yeah, Damascus was, <laughs> was fucked up.
1: So... Um, you want to get
0: the, the, the into the fucked up part of it? Like why is it...
1: Well, if you don't mind, because I think that people need to hear this.
0: I don't know. From which perspective should I describe it?
1: Well, from from your experiences, how you felt?
0: But yeah, most of us, as friends, you know, were all my generation or my colleagues at the the Higher Institute of Music in Damascus. We were mostly poor. We lived uh, some maybe ten kilometers away. We lived in old Damascus, but we had to go to school in in the center. So yeah, we shared a room, four of us. But when I remember those days, I mean, they were, now they're really fun. I have good memories because we're really bonded as friends. We, we knew uh, the extent of human nature. I mean, not just it, the bad side, because you see the bad side of people when war breaks, but also the good side, how people, you know, bond. So now I, f- I feel glad, but I didn't feel glad, you know, maybe a few months back, but you caught me in, in a period of my life where where a lot has, has been going on and now I feel some sort of clarity, yeah, and happiness maybe.
1: Well, you said you have good memories, but how bad was it? Because in Britain, we only know what we know from the news. So we hear about the Assad regime and what is happening. Yeah, and th-
0: there is no media coverage, no outside media coverage to, to actually know what's going on, but it's really bad now. People are being killed in the streets, kind of bad, you know. Children are being executed it's like it's it's evil kind of bad yeah but so getting into it is it's, it's above any imagination so I, I didn't think that people would be able of that but like two weeks ago I watched this video it's on YouTube <laughs> for a massacre that happened in Damascus and this video was just revealed and I don't know how it's on YouTube but you can see a guy executing, I don't know, tens of people and putting them with wheels in the ground and then burning them. This kind of that. so I didn't experience that myself because <laughs> I'm here, I'm talking to you. But that used to happen right near us, you know? And we only suffer from the casualties of having pumps on the city. So some friends died. And and then you just mark your path where the pump hit. So if you see a hit there, so the prob- the probability of another one hitting the same spot is low. So then you follow these. <laughs> I used to do
1: that at least just I thought this might save me. Maybe it did. And what was your day-to-day life? Did you continu- Did you try to continue as normal, or was it more like survival? I don't know what you
0: define normal at the time, but what I saw normal is I spent at least seven hours a day playing the piano. And so I went to the institute, I just fi- I, I find a piano, I keep playing it, until they tell me, they kick me out, like, yeah, it's time to... <laughs> and then I, I go. Yeah, find something to eat, find somewhere to sleep, and do it again. Yeah, I got really good at playing the piano, but everything else sucked.
1: Well, this is why I'm so interested in speaking with you, because not many people have had that experience in life. So it's remarkable, and you're sitting here...
0: Because most people were struggling with life itself. I mean, there's nothing that you can do there to make an effect. Change it so I just closed myself in, in with the piano and just do this thing. I don't know if it's like a coping mechanism or a flight mechanism, just to because music, you know, it uh, gives some a certain alternative reality, some sort of yeah, and I liked it. And now I'm trying to prove that this is not an illusion, this is real. <laughs> this is what I theoretically work on.
1: Did you have teachers at the time coming to listen to you while you were playing and to give you advice, or was there nobody there at all to help you learn more about the piano? Uh,
0: no, there were teachers, but not to help me, mostly it's screw me up. So yeah, eventually I was fired from uh, I was expelled, you know, from the Higher Institute of Music. Why? Because they thought I was bad. I was a bad musician, a bad person. Uh, like, they didn't like me overall. This what I think.
1: But why do you think they thought that about you? Were you doing anything wrong? Uh,
0: not really. They didn't like jazz for, for starters. I used to play jazz. And... Something about jazz made them feel that it's rude, you know, because, and I can see for a little bit how, for, for, for our mind that it might seem that it's rude because it's very direct and jazz also can be rude, I mean, but it's music. And they didn't understand. (laughs) So it just, yeah, pissed them off. Uh, I used to correct, or I corrected a teacher once or twice in class and he was like pissed off about it. And then everything started going down.
1: So for people listening who don't understand about the war in Syria, what kind of war is it? it is, a, is it a civil war? And how did it start and who is fighting who? It's like, for
0: me, now I see it the way it's. I think. It's just a personal thing. It's like a cartel uh, war. Because this is not a, that was, that's not a system. Because now that I see a little bit of how a system function functions and how a government is set, you know, we have nothing like that. You know, this it's a dictatorship. There's a cartel and they control all kinds of industries and imports, exports, dr- drugs. So it's a cartel, in my opinion. And they do whatever it takes to stay in charge. So, uh, but it's not a civil war. No, there is a cartel who is in charge and there are people who are fought.
1: And then the Russians (coughs) are involved as well.
0: Yeah, everybody is involved. Everybody is now taking a cut because this kind of cartel is willing to cut deals with anybody in order to remain, you know. Again, this is my personal opinion. I'm I'm just trying to simplify it in order for my (laughs) head. Not to think about it anymore, because I think it's, yeah, we have this situation, a cartel situation. And,
1: and are your is your whole family still there?
0: Yes, my mother and sister, and my sister's children and her husband, so this is my family who's there.
1: And are they okay?
0: Yeah, I mean by Syrian standards they're okay. But is
1: it still very hard for them? Yes, sure. So what is life like for them?
0: So they struggle with electricity a lot. You have, I don't know, like two-thirds of the day you don't have electricity. Maybe, maybe less, less time electricity. So, and yeah, they struggle with prices and because the income there is way different. My mother now gets, I think, less than thirty, thirty-five dollars a month, (laughs) you know, so that's nothing and the prices are just like here, I mean, because you can't buy one kilogram of tomatoes, it's the same fucking price as
1: tomatoes. How does she survive?
0: I don't know. I don't know how people survive. It's really mind-boggling because, but a lot of people have uh, Relatives abroad, so mostly they live by this support, which is minimal, but it just c- keeps them.
1: And could you talk about your father, please? My father. Because <laughs> you haven't mentioned him. Yeah,
0: I haven't mentioned. Him. Yeah, but you wanted to mention him. Uh, my father uh, left in 1999. I was like uh, six years old. I have uh, no actual memory of interacting with him and he's, he's been in New York ever since.
1: Yeah, And you haven't heard from him?
0: No, we've been in touch s- sometimes, but yeah, we, we haven't had uh, the best of relationship.
1: And your mother doesn't have another man to help her? No. And y- did you say you have a, she r- a stays, brother?
0: She just wanted to stay with us, I and my sister. And, yeah, we we grew as a trio.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm sorry, because it must be really hard for you, because I suppose... It
0: was hard for my mother, for the most part. And, uh, yeah, now I'm an adult, it's time to be hard for me. So I think, I figure, yeah, (laughs) maybe this is how it works. Uh,
1: Well, how did you manage to leave? It, It must have been so hard, because, presumably, you wanted to stay to help your mum your mother, but also you've left, first of all, to Budapest.
0: Yeah, but I wanted to pursue my dream first. So this was my priority, maybe this is a bit selfish, it might sound, but yeah, I was just following music. I mean, that was before me, so. And then when good things happen, I share that with with my family, you know?
1: What kind of good things? In life. Yeah. So you good news, you tell them good yeah. news. And they're happy for you. So how did you manage to get to Budapest first to study?
0: It was a scholarship.
1: How did you hear about it?
0: Uh, my ex-wife told me about this.
1: <laughs> so you're 29 now, and you've had a wife already.
0: I'm 30 now. And, and, um, I had a wife, I'm divorced, yes.
1: Did you have any children? No. What an amazing life you've had so far. Where was she from?
0: Syria, so but a, a different city.
1: And where is she now? In Amsterdam,
0: yeah.
1: So did you leave Syria together to Budapest?
0: Yes, uh, not together, I left first the scholarship I applied for a reunion, she followed me and yeah, we lived there, we came here, we got divorced.
1: And everybody has their own life now. Yeah. So who told you about the the scholarship in Budapest when you were in Syria? How did what can you remember the first moment you heard about it?
0: So it was a scholarship for uh, Christian young people, this school. It's uh, supported by Stipendium Hungaricum, another another entity in Hungary, and by a church. So I applied for it. They wanted uh, just a recommendation from a church, and I used to (laughs) work at the church at the time with the choir as a piano player, so I asked the priest he gave me a recommendation letter, I applied, I sent a portfolio so the, the academy accepted me, then I got the fund, then I trapped.
1: And were you married already?
0: Yeah, I was eight months married by the time I got the scholarship because my plan was to get married, get the scholarship, leave and we both leave and start life.
1: And then what happened when you got to Budapest with your wife?
0: Then we lived there for three years. Yeah, and then she came here, applied for asylum. I continued my school for graduation, and uh, yeah, but then things didn't uh, didn't go uh, as imagined. So
1: here we are. Well, what 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 happened? Do you think did she find somebody else, or you just grew apart, or?
0: Um, yeah, we grew apart. That's a uh, Nice way to put it because uh, by the time we were separated, fi- because I was graduating, she was in the asylum procedure. Um, yeah, maybe this changed things uh, a little bit uh, that called it uh, the hearts a little. She figures she, she has a different version of love that she's looking for, and yeah. It pissed me off, of course, for a second, but everybody is entitled to that, I think.
1: Yeah, eventually. So you studied for three years in Budapest and you got your qualification in music. What did you study in Budapest? Uh, Classical composition. Cool. So when you (coughs) left, what level had you got to? What were you doing in your music?
0: I had a portfolio of compositions, and this is what I sent to them. Uh, they, it, the portfolio was not particularly classical because by the time I was 24, I, was, I, mean I had a lot of compositions in different styles, so, but they saw the potential in this portfolio. And then I got to meet uh, yeah, Jula Fekete. This is my, my teacher, first, first guy who I met there, amazing man. He was like Yeah, my my personal uh,
1: Jesus Christ. (laughs) Well, also, it's interesting for me. Did you grow up as a Muslim? No. You grew up as a Christian? Yeah. How many, are there many um, Syrian Christian? In my hometown, I think, I don't know,
0: roughly between like 10 to 20%, maybe. Yeah.
1: Well, that's good. So being Christian and being musical got you away from Syria. And then when you got to the end of three years in Budapest, what did you think you would do then but
0: uh, when I applied for the scholarship I was Muslim I wasn't uh, uh, so yeah th- we have a a conversion that happened because of the marriage because uh, my ex-wife was from a was Muslim so I had to convert in order because we we don't have a civil uh, court i mean it goes it goes by Sharia by like this, and you have to convert. So I figured like, yeah, what the hell. It's <laughs> great, it sounded so, yeah. like you loved her. Yeah, I did. And, and I thought nothing of this kind of paperwork, and I, I believe in nothing, so I thought that if this paperwork, if my signature could help things, so it was very practical for me. But then I heard about the scholarship, I was Muslim at the time. But any, anyway, I mean, I had the baptism certificate. So, and, yeah, my ex-wife actually, actually was Alawi. Alawi, so it's like a sub-religion of Islam. So then all my religious identity is lost. So now, because my hometown is mostly Druze, which is a different religion. So people think I'm from that religion, but I'm Christian. Syrian government thinks I'm Muslim. Yeah, Other people think I'm Alawi. So, yeah, but I don't care anyway.
1: <laughs> I mean, did you think you, maybe you would, you would live, you would settle down in Budapest? Or would, did you always think Holland or Britain? Yeah, yeah.
0: When the wheels touched the, the ground, you know, I, I knew that it's a lovely city, yeah. but I knew that I was leaving. Because I thought about Holland way before Like it was my 2015 plan to come to the Netherlands. It didn't work out then. Then, yeah. It worked eventually.
1: (laughs) Well done. Why the Netherlands? Why not Britain or Germany?
0: I did some research, you know, on refugee rights and conditions of living in those countries yeah, and I found Netherlands to be the best and in supporting artists I heard some good news about that, you know, that they support art in general, so I want to do art. <laughs> yeah, so.
1: Well done, so when did you come to hear from Budapest?
0: <coughs> Last summer.
1: So you were in Budapest for three years? Twenty, you're t- uh,
0: twenty-one. Great. Yeah, I graduated in June that year. And I came, yeah.
1: What was it like living there? Did you enjoy it or was it hard?
0: Budapest was lovely, yeah. It's a very nice city. It has a very unique ar- architecture, old architecture. Very small city.
1: And then now, where are you studying? What is the name, please? Codarts. Arts. And, yeah. and this is it's like in the in best? Rotterdam.
0: I don't know what's the best here. I just wanted to be in an institution in order to to be in the community, you know. And I figured the best way is to continue with a master's degree in order to meet everybody and uh, develop. At the same time. This is why I'm here also at the Treehouse in order to meet artists and collaborate.
1: Fantastic. So what music are you working on for your masters? Did you give them a, a good proposal for what you intend to do?
0: Yeah, we're still figuring that out. Uh, I've proposed uh, my thesis that I've been working on for some five years now. But they told me this for a later stage, of maybe after masters. So I had to figure out another research uh, topic.
1: Wow! So maybe you were saying you should use this idea for a doctorate yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Because it's so advanced.
0: Yeah, it's it's going through some very detailed stuff, and uh, it's we we don't have the time for that in two years of masters. And it's just supposed to be uh, preparatory for uh, preparing how to do research. And then you do research and PhD. And so yeah, the, the topic is not that important. Uh, what's important is to figure out the, uh, the strategy and the methodology of research, at least how it's used here. Uh, then you I'm prepared to start my PhD. So this is my aim, but the topic is changing
1: now, <laughs> still, yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you for telling me. It's really interesting. I appreciate your anxiety and your hesitation about speaking about it, but what a great story. Um, what a lovely good news story. The fact that you came from such hardship and now you're living your dream and what kind of music do you most enjoy? You said you like jazz before, but has it changed to something else?
0: It's I I mostly improvise. So most of the time when when I deal with music it's me improvising and making my own music. Things that I really wanna express. So this is how I do it usually. But When I don't have any instrument to play, I just listen to Latin jazz, most probably Cuban jazz, Latin jazz, yeah. Nowadays, I'm listening to Belladins and Miles Davis (laughs) singing. Yeah, Michel Petrucciani is one of my favorite pianists ever.
1: Could you say the name again?
0: Michel Petrucciani.
1: And what is about the music that you like so much? What does it do to you?
0: About his music, uh, that he, he's a master of controlling time. So he's so free that he can divide time the way he wants, but still he doesn't break the the structure of swing. So he, I think, he's he's the best who knows how how to swing.
1: Yeah. And. As far as happiness goes, you've had some terrible hardship in Syria. so what would you do to be happy when you were there, and how does that compare to your happiness now
0: i would I would do the same I would just do the same thing. I asked myself that, and yeah every time I was just because. I don't know how to deal with this question, because nothing would change around me. And all my decisions, I was aware of them, you know, I, so I would do it, do the whole thing all over again. But I don't want to, to do it all over again. I'm excited to see what's going to happen.
1: Well, it's great. You'll get a doctorate, you'll be a doctor. Yeah, hopefully that's
0: in some four or five years.
1: And now you're going to teach while you're doing your masters as well, you'll be teaching and you'll be doing your project idea for your masters and you're going to be studying you are studying in Rotterdam which is away from Amsterdam, obviously it's further south, but you're, you're here in the treehouse which is where the shipping containers are for artists because you want to be part of this artistic community, so you will commute, you will come here by bus or by train two or three times a week
0: Once I'm settled uh, in Rotterdam, yes.
1: When does your first term start? Is it right now?
0: You mean at school? Yeah. It's already started.
1: Your first term? Yeah. Brilliant.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not attending, so this year I think I'll just uh, do some classes, you know, finish some 30 credits or so, and start fresh next year with research, because it's... uh, it wasn't uh, the environment of research because last ten months I was in in the refugee center, which wasn't the best uh, environment, you know, to do work. I was living with a lot of people, and yeah.
1: And what was that like every day? What what would you do every day there? You know, the
0: facility they chose uh, to host us. You know, I, you know, I thank them, of course, for hosting us. But they chose a prison facility, but that is abandoned and. So the vibe of it is is depressing for sure, you know, you can't get over it. (laughs) And part of it is still an actual prison, which...
1: Which is being used by prisoners.
0: Yeah, a part of it, but it's separated, but you can see, you can see it. Yeah, it was depressing, especially in the winter, and you lived with eight guys in a room and then with three guys, so like rooms, with eight rooms, with fours.
1: And how long were you there for?
0: In refugee centres in general, 15 months.
1: Well, you've done so well to get out. Did, Did everybody else leave, or are some people still there, your friends?
0: Some people found some way out, you know, to stay at somebody's place or find something, you know. But you can't rent an actual, you can't have an actual lease for a rental house, you know, because you lose the social housing and everybody's counting on that, because otherwise you cannot afford a a house.
1: So while you're there, how can you get out? Do you speak with a social worker? Do you get given a person you can speak with from the government?
0: Yeah, but they don't have time to speak with you. So you're just there waiting, basically, until they tell you to do something new. Of course, you can work once you have a a PSN number here. You can work and you're free to do anything. But most people there, you know, they have nothing to start with. So <laughs> you are free, but you're unable somehow.
1: And then one day somebody comes to your room and says, Samir, it's time to go. Uh,
0: usual people there, they get a house, then they go on uh, welfare or
1: and, yeah. Well, you have a good story because you've done so well. Like, this is the start of something great.
0: Yeah, I tried not to waste my time, you know, at the, at the refugee center. So I applied to, to Code Arts. I started school, I got the tree house. I'm trying to make any anything of my life, you know, because it was very stable for some few months and uh, that was horrible.
1: Yeah. yeah, what would you do day to day in the refugee center? Did they give you anything to do?
0: What what to do? They who are they?
1: Well, the people <laughs> controlling the government. Would they? Uh,
0: there's uh, an organization called CoA. They organize this, but no, they barely understand what they're doing. I mean, most of the time. So the system is very rigid. So we're just sort of on a computer, and whenever they see something there they report it, you know. But they don't do actual things. They don't have decisions, so they're just there to
1: So did they give you a time when you can go outside to exercise? Um give you
0: Yeah, of course. I mean I have all the freedom to go also like I was I had a gym membership. I went to the gym and but I smoked most of the time, especially in the winter. It was depressing so I, I spent at <laughs> a really depressive winter. But uh, the spring was much better.
1: And would you play games with your friends? And were they all Syrian, so you could at least talk about home and talk about family?
0: Yeah, we didn't really want this way. We mostly listened to music, maybe, and smoked weed. That's a, because everybody's pissed, you know, the, the place has no privacy, nothing. So.
1: And was it all men? Were there any women?
0: There were families in some section and uh, were, yeah, all men.
1: And did everybody get along? Was it okay? Was it everybody of course friendly? Not. <laughs> no, was there fighting? and? <laughs>
0: yeah, sometimes.
1: Hmm. Well, I'm sorry you've had that experience. This is no, why.
0: No, that, that's fine. I mean, compared to Syria, that's fine. But the depressing thing is that uh, in the refugee center, you get to meet all the Syrians, like all of them, because in my life in Syria, I lived for 24 years, I met some Syrians, like from some regions, but there you meet them all, and it reminds you more of Syria, It makes you understand what is Syria more, and this is depressing, (laughs) you know, because you, you kind of see something of the whole picture, you know wow it's like but yeah who we are how are we perceived as Syrians because I think of myself yeah as a Syrian but I come from that community from that family which changed me a lot but and uh, I in the last year I wanted to run away from that uh, because it's it's too much to to process I wanted to focus on what I should focus on you know just keep Focusing on music, because in Syria I focused on music, not on Syria. And now I should focus on music, not on Syria. It's the same thing. So.
1: It's great. Congratulations. Well done. Thanks. Well, it's such a lovely story, the fact that your passion for music and the piano got you away from our country, and got you out of a refugee centre as well, and here you are. So, you have a big cause for celebration, and I, I wish much, much, much success to you. It's great. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so, for as much more I could ask you, but for people listening, who think that they might have a hard life, or maybe they do have a hard life, but just a different life from you, and you have seen hardship, you have seen death in Syria, you have seen well, it hasn't been easy at all, so what message would you have, please, for people in regarding happiness? What has brought you happiness?
0: I'm not sure if this defines happiness or, or stability, which is, I think, the basis of happiness. It's choosing an ob- uh, a subject to love in life that will keep you a human with, with the brains i mean this is what makes us special i think so if you get obsessed with a s- subject you avoid getting obsessed with people which is unhealthy this is what i learned
1: which is unhealthy
0: yeah so but when you when you have your attention on on a subject then you're even better with, it with your loved ones. Uh, I don't know how to phrase it, I'm trying to say it in as less words as possible. But love as subject. Instead music is a subject, for example. And f- for me personally, I, I see that, yeah, if I keep focusing here, then my psyche will be fine. But if you depend, on loving someone and this, this breaks. I'm not saying on that you shouldn't love people. People are lovely and you should love them but in a healthy way because people are obsessive in nature and you're gonna get obsessed either way. So let your obsession be with a subject not with someone. This makes everything easier.
1: Is there anything else you would like to add at all?
0: It's very lovely meeting you, man. (laughs)
1: Thank you, you too. But is there anything I haven't asked you that you think is important, that maybe I I haven't thought about, that I don't understand?
0: My life is dense, and I know that uh, uh, the more we talk, the more we will have stories to talk about, of course. But... uh, Yeah, I also want to to respect your time and the time gap that we have, or, yeah, but I always like, love to talk about music, whenever you have any questions about music, I would love to talk about it.
1: Contrast, please. Could you play your other instrument?
0: The other instrument, yeah. The says the mini says this doesn't portray the whole sound of the sense because it's much wider with the bigger one. So this is the mini one.